This is Smarter Care Connections, a podcast produced by the Virginia Center for Health Innovation. Smarter Care Connections features conversations with faculty from the Smarter Care Virginia Low Value Healthcare Reduction Initiative, as well as other thought leaders and partners of the center. These conversations are intended to be informative, but easily digestible by healthcare professionals and policymakers interested in improving healthcare value. Thanks for listening. On this episode of Smarter Care Connections, Steve Horan, CEO of Community Health Solutions and member of the Smarter Care Evaluation Team, is back to interview Dr. John Moffey and Dr. Michelle Rockwell on their research on the impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on low-value care in Virginia. Our regular audience should be very familiar with Dr. Moffey by now, but for those who are new to us, Dr. Moffey is an Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of General Internal Medicine and Health Services Research at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, where he also practices and teaches primary care and inpatient geriatrics. Dr. Moffey is currently leading several national studies on medical overuse among older Americans, as well as initiatives using electronic health records to measure and improve the value of healthcare. Michelle Rockwell is an assistant professor of family and community medicine at Virginia Tech and a senior research associate at Carilion Clinic in Roanoke, Virginia. Her research focuses on the measurement, evaluation, and de-implementation of low-value care in the primary care setting. She is also interested in the patient-clinician relationship and specifically exploring trust as a predictor and outcome of successful de-implementation of low-value care. With more than 20 years of experience as a registered dietitian, Michelle is also interested in nutrition and lifestyle approaches to disease prevention and treatment. Michelle is a proud Hokie and received her undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral degrees at Virginia Tech. Welcome, Dr. Maffi and Michelle Rockwell. We're excited to have you join us today to share your ideas and insights about evaluating Smarter Care Virginia. This is a great opportunity for us to learn more about strategies for evaluating efforts to reduce low-value care, both within Virginia and beyond. We hope to learn about two particular dynamics today. First, we'd like to learn about the evaluation strategy, especially in the context of the pandemic, and how the forthcoming results might be used. Second, we're interested in your insights about how we can use data and other supports to engage stakeholders at different levels of the system as partners in reducing low-value care. But first, we'll invite you to say hello to our listening audience. Hello, I'm John Maffey. Thanks for having us here, Steve. Hi there, I'm Michelle Rockwell. It's great to be here, thanks so much. Wonderful and welcome. To get us started, John, what would you say are the guiding hypotheses of the evaluation and how have you designed the evaluation to balance the goals of Smarter Care Virginia with the constraints created by the pandemic? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Steve. You know, I think that the overarching uh, hypothesis of, of this work um, really gets at uh, philosophically that um, physicians are all trying to do right by their patients uh, for the most part. They're, they're trying to do the best they can. 
and they have a sense of altruism and professionalism for their patients. And so the idea is um, to appeal uh, to that sense of professionalism and uh, duty to sort of uh, help your patients and, and to do no harm. Um, and so, uh, and by appealing to that, uh, motivating uh, physicians to, to pay attention to the problem of uh, medical overuse, which is uh, just as a reminder, uh, patient care that provides no net health benefit uh, in specific clinical scenarios. And so this is very different than uh, cost, effect, cost ineffective care which may have a clinical or health benefit, but is too expensive. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about patient care that actually may be uh, no benefit or actually may have a net harm. And so when you talk about a possible net harm or no benefit, it's, it's ethically much, uh, much easier to connect with physicians uh, to do the right thing for their patients and also uh, to engage patients and to and to get them uh, philosophically uh, on board, it's not about less care; it's about the right care. So that's the overarching uh, philosophy behind this work. Um, you know, and our hypothesis is is that if we can if we can effectively engage physicians with such an approach, and if we can um, use data to inform, uh, you know, different variations in overuse across large health systems and practices, that with that data plus that philosophy, we can motivate change in practice patterns, reduce medical overuse, improve quality of care, uh, and as a secondary bonus, maybe save some costs for the health system. But the primary goal is ultimately to improve the quality of patient care. Thank you, John. Michelle, your thoughts. So part of the analysis that, that I'm working on is a, a bit of a separate piece from the, the Smarter Care Virginia study. So Smarter Care Virginia, like John mentioned, is focused on reducing overuse and working with health systems to reduce low value care. We wanted to specifically isolate the effect of COVID-19, which certainly wasn't in our minds when Smarter Care Virginia was being planned, but to isolate the effects of the pandemic on uh, the right care that John mentioned. So we wanna not only look at the low value care, the, the services that are overused, that are not necessary, but also the high value care. So some cancer screenings and uh, taking care of patients with diabetes, the right kind of care for cardiovascular disease, some behavioral health care, other high value services that we really wanna make sure are happening. We wanna take a good look, especially throughout the year 2020 at what happened to the right care, the high value and low value we know from lots of other work and even news media reports that in the first couple of months of the pandemic, almost all care, high and low value care, um, was dramatically reduced. Uh, we're going to have a really um, close look at how care, the high and low value care, has rebounded and how it's rebounded differently in different groups within the state. 
Thank you for the overview. Drilling down a bit, uh, we've heard you talk about in other settings that the evaluation can also be potentially informing for quality improvement and efforts to address disparities. Can you expand a bit on those two dimensions of the evaluation? Oh, sure, I'd be happy to. And I'll start with the disparities part because that is uh, an important aim of, of the evaluation. We wanna better understand how different groups throughout our state have been affected uh, by, by the pandemic in terms of receipt of these really important, especially high value services. So we're gonna look at as many different um, indicators uh, of demographics and region as we can uh, based on the data that we have in the LPAIR claims database. So for example, we're gonna look at age differences and differences by region in the state that people live in, by rurality, by socioeconomic status, by payer, to see if we can identify different trends in how high value services are rebounding. And there's a little bit in the literature in this already that, that gives us a, a hint at what we might see, but I'm very excited about how, our, how complete um, our analysis is gonna be in terms of recognizing some groups that might be at, at greater risk of not having the preventive care and high value care that's so important. And that leads right into quality improvement efforts that we could be making based on some of those um, hypothesized differences that may be occurring um, in care. And um, so of course, we're happy to see those. And another part of the quality improvement that we hope to inform from our analysis goes back to the low value care piece. So um, it will be nice if, all the low value care that was happening before the pandemic just went away and never rebounded, uh, but that isn't very realistic. So um, we can learn a lot though, I believe, by which low value services are coming back, have already bounced back quickly, others that are lagging, um, maybe some have, have just gone by the wayside, maybe some haven't, um, rebounded as quickly. So it, it is an opportunity at the clinician level, the patient level, the health system level, the payer level to, to make some quality improvement based on the data that, that we're gonna be sharing. What would you add to that, John? Yeah, thanks Michelle for that answer. I, I agree um, that this is a, a really important opportunity um, for us to assess, I mean, COVID-19 was really a, uh, a chance for the health system to, to kind of hit the reset button. It, it was an unintended <laughs> disruption, you know, one that nobody would want. Um, but there is some possible silver linings where there's a huge reset, a huge pause. It does offer the opportunity for some changes. And we're already seeing changes, uh, for instance, in a greater reliance on telehealth and telemedicine, and that's already changing. Um, and, and one would hope that alongside those changes that we would also see concomitant or simultaneous improvements in quality of care, such that the hope would be that, you know, as care patterns after the initial disruption, uh, as care rebounds back to, you know, historic levels, 
um, you know, um, that high value care exceeds historic levels and goes, you know, before, because we know that, uh, you know, high value care, like, uh, you know, diabetes uh, management and, and cancer screening, we were behind on those things even before the pandemic. And the pandemic just put us back even more. So we would love to be able to see and report that <clears throat> high value care has exceeded historic rates um, and that low value care or unnecessary care generally has stayed low. Uh, we may not see that, but that's our hope. Um, and you know, as, as Michelle alluded to, we want to see if the rebounds in high value care um, are occurring differentially across important patient groups. Um, you know, we, we don't, we have some ways to, to indirectly measure socioeconomic status, uh, such as using um, U.S. Census data uh, on zip code, uh, as well as um, to give sort of a population level approximation of a geographic region on socioeconomic status, um, as well as a payer mix, um, you know, Medicaid uh, and uh, dual eligible patients uh, who are Medicare, Medicaid. Um, uh, by definition, because these are income-based insurance groups, have uh, are a socioeconomically disadvantaged group. Um, and so if we do see care patterns where these groups are behind more so than other more affluent groups, um, then, then that would be an important policy uh, uh, lesson for the, for the state of Virginia, because thereby informing, you know, health policies that, that address these specific vulnerable groups. And, you know, I'll add that, you know, these groups are disproportionately non-white racial and ethnic minorities as well. Um, and so if we're finding disparities in high value care that, that have been exacerbated in the pandemic, that would be a very important policy lesson for the state uh, and so that they can take appropriate action. You know, in listening to what you've been describing, it sounds like multiple audiences could be interested in these evaluation results. Um, can you share some ideas about how various stakeholders at different levels could find value in the results uh, you, you've been producing? And we'll start with Michelle and then John. Thanks, that's a really great question too, Steve. I keep thinking about how there's no more important time. There's never been a more important time to be be thinking about the value of of healthcare than right now. So, how we can provide better care at a lower cost, more services that we really need that are going to make a, a difference in in preventing health problems and promoting quality of health and providing less waste. Um, this has been such a the pandemic has been such a tough time for so many Virginians, for so many healthcare providers in, in Virginia who are doing heroic effort during the pandemic, there's no time for, for any unnecessary wasted services to be happening. I keep thinking about that. So I think so many stakeholders have interest in, in promoting high value, better care, better quality care, um, at this time. So I think of policymakers for sure. I think insurers have a stake in this, health system leaders. Um, I work a lot in primary care. So I think so much of um, primary care clinicians and leaders in terms of 
their thoughts around the provision of high value care and making sure they're reducing any of these excessive services that just don't need to be happening aren't, aren't helpful. And so many times we talk about low value care in the context of, of cost, and that is the really important aspect of it, the financial waste that's associated with low value care. But the, the other risks of harm uh, that I think have come to the surface now during COVID when our bandwidth is limited, it is worse for, for folks to go out if they don't need to be going out. Uh, when we have uh, staffing shortages in healthcare, I, I think it just brings to light other harms um, that can result from, from care that's overused and not necessarily um, having to occur. I can think of more stakeholders, of course, clinicians and patients themselves, public health and, and community health folks who are also so very involved in, in preventive health. So um, a whole range of, of the healthcare and, and public health community to me will, will be interested in, in these results. Clearly, I think everybody should be thinking about the value of the healthcare that we're providing. John, additional thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree completely with Michelle. I think, um, again, because this is a focus on the quality of care, everybody should care about the quality of care. And um, most uh, chiefly uh, patients, um, you know, I think are the most important stakeholders um, because it's the patients who are at risk um, and it's the patients who are, are at health risk where high value care can mitigate that health, health risk and they're at risk when uh, low value care can, can uh, provide patient harm unintentionally. Um, for instance, uh, uh, a patient who receives a pick line, an unnecessary pick line, which is a uh, central line inserted through the arm um, that for a patient with kidney disease can ruin their chance for dialysis and set that patient up for line infections. Um, and so there is real harm with some of these overused procedures. So the most important stakeholder is the patient. And then, you know, on top, up, on top of that, physicians uh, would want to know, um, you know, about the, the quality of care that, that's being delivered and whether it's of high value. And then finally, I think policymakers, um, policymakers at the payer level, um, at the state level, you know, if I'm the director of uh, the state Medicaid program, I'd want to know whether my patients in our, you know, uh, Medicare uh, members were, were receiving uh, timely, equitable, um, accessible, and high value care. Um, and, uh, and so that our, our study is going to be broad in scope and will hopefully answer all these questions and will allow policymakers to understand where there are care deficits and where they can target their, their attention and resources. Excellent, thank you. And, you know, as I listen to you uh, both describe these dynamics, it strikes me that low value care, high value care, and uh, the settings in which they happen, there's policy dynamics all the way up at the federal and state level, to the health plan level, to the institutional level, but it extends all the way down to the medical office and the bedside and that interaction 
between the patient and the clinician. And in that context, it sounds like there are things we can learn about the human dynamics of using data to challenge some standing assumptions at the clinical level. And John, we'll start with you. Based on your research and experience, what would you say are the keys for engaging individuals and teams as partners in reviewing data, generating insight, and taking action to reduce low-value care? Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question, uh, Steve. And uh, you know, maybe I'll just also take a step back. And we we are you know throwing phrases like high value and low value care, and I, I try to define it. But let me just try to define it even better, hopefully. So um, um, high value care. Um, let's just take one service, like let's say an antibiotic prescription for amoxicillin, which is a common penicillin type of antibiotic. So that antibiotic in a patient with uh, bacterial pneumonia is what we would call high value care. So because that antibiotic, you know, potentially um, might be life-saving for certain patients um, or prevent hospitalization. But you take that same antibiotic and you switch the patient scenario. And now the patient has two days of the sniffles, a viral cold. Um, that, that is, let's say not COVID, but it's just a cold virus, common cold virus. That antibiotic no longer becomes life-saving. Now it becomes harmful because there's going to be side effects that are going to be more frequent, like diarrhea and other problems. And so when we talk about reducing low-value care, we're talking about reducing those low those antibiotics for things like the common cold. And when we're talking about increasing high-value care, we're talking about more prescriptions of antibiotics for things like pneumonia uh, that make a difference. So that's really what we're talking about. So when you're trying to engage with clinicians on, on these data, you know, we use um, administrative claims data. So these are data that um, are derived, they're convenience samples. They're data that are derived from billing codes during physician office visits and the like. So these data are um, imperfect surrogates for the true high and low value care that, that I'm talking about. And so because they're imperfect, um, you have to have caution when engaging a group of physicians um, about their rates of overuse in a, you know, say you're approaching a physician practice and saying, look, your rates of overuse are higher. You know, your low value prescribing is higher than this other practice. And the reason you have to be cautious is that the data are imperfect and that it's easy to be, uh, to lose your credibility with a group of physicians when they look up the chart and find that actually the, the, you know, what you're calling variation is actually very appropriate. It's just that the billing codes were not accurate enough to see that. So rather than coming down with judgment or shaming these groups of physicians with this data, you want to instead seek them out as equal partners and, and say, look, um, you know, these data uh, show that the rates of prescribing are 90% in, in your practice, but on average, they're about 20%, um, and sometimes as low as 10% in these other practices. Can you help us understand what's happening uh, with these patterns? And that's a very different approach than a, than a so coming down at it, you know, uh, with a heavy hand. Um, and you're really engaging them uh, to improve data quality and ultimately improve documentation and ultimately the quality of care. That's the ultimate goal. So 
Um, I'll let Michelle add uh, some more thoughts to that. Well, when John was talking, I couldn't help having a whole bunch of thoughts. And I, I wanted to riff a little bit on the great point that you made, John, about antibiotics and how it is so high value for a particular patient, some patients, that one service can be um, low value for another. And that does make things really complex. It reminded me of some work that we're doing now around colorectal cancer screening. So many uh, people do not achieve the, do not receive the proper colorectal cancer screening. We don't meet uh, statewide goals there. Um, I'm in the Southwest part of the state in particular. We, we don't meet um, national goals here in my part of the state. During the pandemic, we got more and more and more behind um, in colorectal cancer screening in part because one of the recommended methods for colorectal cancer screening is of course colonoscopy and those sort of elective procedures were shut down for months. And to me, a, a, a really concerning harm that comes to mind is the fact that there are some low value colorectal cancer screenings happening. Um, it's not a ton in some places, it happens to be way too high, um, according to some data that we have. Either the screening is happening in a patient that is older than the recommended guidelines, or the screening is happening too frequently. And to me, it's so concerning that not only is someone having a, a procedure that could have harm that isn't necessarily needed for them, but that could be keeping others from having an important high value service. And nationally, there is a backlog in, in colorectal cancer screening. So it just made me think about how, um, how complex the problem is now, especially for some services. You know, this is exciting because what I'm hearing is that this is an evaluation that has multiple dimensions and can be useful at all levels of the system. And that's really something to look forward to. Uh, so as we look forward, can you give us a sense of when the evaluation results might be ready and how, how they might be used? Michelle? Sure. We are getting close. We're looking forward to having some preliminary results next month. So by the end of 2021, and then having some more final concrete results by the spring of 2022. And it's so great as a researcher to be able to partner with VCHI because the infrastructure is in place to help us to disseminate these results to so many important players, so many important stakeholders. So by having the preliminary results in, in a short period of time, that will enable us to submit uh, an abstract to some national conferences. That's an important way to disseminate results. And then we'll be able to present there, hopefully if accepted in the spring. We'll, we'll definitely be preparing a manuscript to submit to a peer-reviewed journal uh, that we're looking forward to working with VCHI and also our funder, Arnold Ventures, to uh, 
on press releases and other methods of, of getting the word out and disseminating the information. Um, we'll share with our Smarter Care Virginia partners, of course, the health systems that we've been working with and throughout BCHI's network. So all different levels, um, we're looking forward to sharing these results because as we've mentioned, we feel like there are a lot of stakeholders who, who can, can use these results to help uh, improve the quality of care for our, our communities in Virginia. Yeah, that was great, Michelle. I agree. And uh, so, so yeah, for the analysis on the impact of COVID-19 on high MO value care in Virginia, uh, hopefully by next month, we will submit uh, our preliminary results to some national conferences uh, for dissemination in the spring um, at the earliest. And then as far as the second evaluation, which is the evaluation of Smarter Care Virginia, the impact of Smarter Care Virginia on, on low value care, uh, across six large health systems, you know that analysis uh, is still ongoing. The, the intervention is still ongoing. We were disrupted by the pandemic, so we're, uh, we had to pause for six months, uh, starting March 2020, and then resume in September 2020. Um, we are also uh, proposing uh, to our funder to to pause uh, a, a, another uh, time uh, for this uh, winter, uh, so that. You know, if there is a wave, hopefully there's not a, a big wave. There may be one, hopefully not. Um, that that uh, that'll allow the health systems to focus on the pandemic, uh, and then we would resume our evaluation, hopefully uh, starting March 2022 to the end of March uh, to February uh, 2023, and then within six to 12 months of that, probably 12 months after, we'll be ready to you know finalize. Uh, uh, the, the, you know, the paper, which will probably come out, you know, by uh, 2024, the final evaluation. So still a few years away uh, if we do get that extension. Dr. John Maffey, Michelle Rockwell, thank you both for sharing. Also, thank you to the broader team of people that are working with you on this important work. We really appreciate that you're doing this work in ways that matter for patients and clinicians and decision makers in a variety of different settings, up, down, and across the system. And we're excited as we think about the results and what they can mean um, for really good clinical care in Virginia and beyond. Thank you, Steve, uh, for having us. Um, and I do agree, we should acknowledge our broader team of uh, UCLA researchers, VCHI, uh, you know, uh, collaborators, uh, Beth Bortz in particular, who's the, who's the, the principal investigator, our funders, Arnold Ventures, um, and uh, you know we're excited. We're hopeful that these results will inform policymakers uh, to allow for better quality of care uh, in the state of Virginia uh, as well as nationally. Ditto all of that from me. It's such a pleasure to to work on a project that feels like an optimistic outlook from from COVID, which has been such a tough time for so many so many people in our state. Thanks so much. Thank you, Steve, John, and Michelle for this great conversation. And thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Smarter Care Connections.